Before we get into today's episode of the podcast, a quick note that today's episode is brought to you by 2Before. 2Before is a product that I've been using for many months now. It is one of my go-to pre-run rituals that I take before my run, and it is something that has significantly contributed to my performance within my runs and workouts and overall just made me feel better. If you've never heard of 2Before before, it is blackcurrants, which are antioxidant berries grown in New Zealand, and studies have shown that consuming them regularly improves endurance by increasing blood flow and removing lactic acid. Blackcurrants also manage inflammation and kickstart muscle recovery, meaning you can hit the next training session feeling strong. Guys, it's used by professional running team Tin Man Elite, as well as teams in the NFL, NBA, and the NCAA, so it's tried and tested. You guys can get 30% off of 2Before with code the running effect 30 not only does this get you 30% off but also free shipping i've left a link to two before's website in the show notes so you guys can scroll down and hit that link or go directly to their website two before.com that's the number two before.com again 30% off with code the running effect 30 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and the reason I say another is because we release a new episode every other day. So if you enjoyed today's episode or have enjoyed any of our episodes in the past, I would greatly appreciate you giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, which takes between five and 10 seconds to do. And then also consider sharing the podcast with a friend or someone who you think would find value and benefit from it. Today on the podcast is is household name on the running effect his name is ben flanagan he runs for on and the very nice track club based out of ann arbor michigan he's an absolute stud on the roads on the track he's got one of the biggest ranges in the world right now he's run 61 flat in the half marathon which is the canadian um, half marathon national record but he also made this year's world outdoor track and field championships in budapest in the 5k uh, and so today's conversation was a lot of fun, just kind of recapping Ben's last six months of absolutely crushing race after race and kind of his journey to get to the point of the world championships, which is something he's been working towards for many, many years now. So I hope you all enjoy my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, household favorite, Ben Flanagan. Ben Flanagan, welcome back to the Running Effect podcast. A pleasure to say those words. I've said welcome back, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine, ten times now, uh, but it's a privilege to say those words. How are you doing, man? Bro, I am good, but it's flattering because every time I come back, I know your your schedule is busier and busier. I've seen you grinding and pumping out content. So um, yeah, man, if I can get a call back with, <laughs> with the busy schedule you have, I'm pumped. So it means I'm doing something right. Last time we talked was after the 10. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, like Ben, we're getting thousands and thousands more monthly listeners every time. So some people might not even be aware that I did a full podcast series with you back in the winter and spring. So I'd highly recommend people check that out. But I did a five-week series with Ben kind of chronicling his indoor track season, which bled into uh, his 10K debut outdoors this year. And so the last time we talked was after that 10K race. And a big theme throughout it all was that like, this is my year to do something on the track. This is my year to make a world championships. So it's cool to have this break between talking to you between that series that was so intimate, back to back to back to back weeks, big break, and now we kind of get to reflect on all the progress that's been made. So is it cool for you to think back to that time period when we talked to each other in March and just think how much growth has happened since then? Yeah, oh, for sure, man. And like, 
you know, it's no secret that 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 10K kind of ended up being a bit of a, a flop for me too. You know, like especially if you listen to our early episodes, we're like hyping it up. Everything felt like we we're gonna have this sick, I guess, uh, peak at, at the 10K champs. And you know, if you listen to the series, ran into a couple, a little bit of turbulence, and that 10K didn't end up working out. Um, so yeah, man, that was a point in my year where there was definitely a, a, a lot of uncertainty because I just got off this like real high from my um, 5K PR indoors at BU, a 1311. Um, and then that 10K just humbled me right back down to earth. So going in the outdoor season, it was like, okay, I got to prove that that 5K wasn't a fluke. And there was also like some actual, um, I, I don't know, tangible is not the word, but some real criteria I still hadn't met for Worlds yet. So the whole summer was just all focused on making sure I got that selection from Team Canada. Outside of Connor Mance, do you feel like you're the guy who has the largest range in the world right now? I feel like it's, I mean, we did, we did talk about this on the podcast uh, series, actually, of like Mance, Chepta guy. I feel like the range is starting to get wider and wider of guys who can run the half really well, but can also run a 3K really well. Is it cool to be at the forefront of that and prove that, hey, I can win Falmouth three years in a row, I can make the 5K team, and I can also potentially debut in the marathon sometime soon and hit it with the big dogs? Yeah, it's definitely very flattering to be put in the same conversation as any of those guys. Jacob Kiplimo is another huge one, I would say, too. Um, and a lot more guys are doing it, too. I mean, um, Krippa, who represents Italy, I know he kind of had like an off-the-cuff, at least from perspective of me, who doesn't follow his career super closely, uh, marathon debut in, in 208 after, you know, making multiple Olympic and um, world championships in the 5K, 10K. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that people bring up to me more often, like being impressed about my range, especially, uh, the track guys, which, which it's funny because I feel like, um, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is that like, if you can't compete with the level you're at move up in distance. Right. So there's like kind of a chip on your shoulder as a guy that's trying to move down in distance. Cause you feel like, you know, people might not take you that seriously. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, what does this road guy got? So uh, to actually be able to mix it up with with guys who've been on the track for a long time and excelling on the track um, has been awesome and huge validation for me because this is kind of like, honestly, a hunch I had that's really starting to actually um, prove to myself that I'm capable at a, an event discipline I never really knew if I was going to be that good at. And um, I'm hungry for more, man. I mean, this season I, I got to a point where I felt like I belonged in the same race as some of the best 5k guys in the world the best 5k guys in the world and you know next year going to paris it's about being able to actually compete with them you know after making worlds i wanted to make that final and um it gives me a, a new goal for paris now can you bring the listeners up to speed people who maybe didn't follow your season super closely take us through the biggest races and bullet points leading into budapest Oh man, it got pretty crazy, honestly, because um, for those that, you know, aren't super clear with the qualification uh, process on the track, there's two ways to get in. One, you hit a standard. Um, the standards are really fast nowadays and they're not absolutely mandatory. So they fill the rest of the field with ranking positions, the next best um, guys ranked in the world until they reach the quota of 42 athletes in the 5K. Um, after my 13-11 indoors, I then ran 13-13 outdoors and kind of ran out of opportunities to hit that standard of 1307. So it be became pretty clear that like, okay, I was going to be, have to, I was going to have to be one of those guys that, um, you know, tried to boost my world ranking and get in off of that. And it looked like I was in a really good spot uh, for a long time. And then this race happened in Belgium, Belgium, the one where um, 
Sean McGordy hit the standard there. Brian Fay famously ran 13.01. All these guys that like really weren't qualified yet hit the standard and all just jumped me in terms of that like descending order list. And I went from like ranked 30th to 36th out of 42 guys. So it was starting to get a little too close for comfort. And I had to go back to my agent and go back to the schedule and be like, hey, I might need to uh, race again. Because I was planning on just going to Canadian Championships, winning that, booking my ticket then and there. But it's like, unless I have the world ranking, winning Canadian Championships doesn't really matter. So what I ended up doing was about five days before um, sound running um, the Sunset Series, uh, or Sunset Tours, sorry. I uh, committed to the 5K there. I knew uh, guys like Sam Parsons, Kai Robinson, Charles Hicks were going to be out there trying to do something similar to me, get those last few spots to Worlds and represent the respective countries. So I flew out there with California, brought my fiance Hannah with me. She was my coach for the weekend. And um, I did that right before Canadian Champs. So I knew I was going to have these like two races within about four days. Um, long story short, those ended up probably being the two best races I had all year. Um, I was able to run 13.20 in that first race and kind of um, solidify my ranking position by winning. Um, closed in a 25.9 last 200, fastest I've ever run by a landslide. Um, battled Ahmed Mohammed to the, the line, which was really cool too. And then about four days later, was able to um, win the 5K at the Canadian Champs, closing in um, 2.24 for the last K. So after that, I was like, damn, I'm fit. Like I'm ready to go. Like, I don't want to just like be at worlds. I want to, I want to make the final when I'm there. And that took me to Budapest. Take me, uh, I don't know how much you were expecting it. Give me a, a deeper sense of when you got the phone call. What was that moment? Like, what was that excitement? Like you've been building towards this. You switched coaches in the past year. You switched sponsors in the last year. You moved back to Ann Arbor. What does it mean when you get that phone call and you're like, it's paying off. It's paying off. Dude, it, was, it was so just like, honestly, it's huge weight, just like off my shoulders of just like, I finally did it. You know, obviously like the, the euphoric moment or the excitement happened, excuse me, when um, I won the Canadian championships, because I knew in my brain, like I've memorized that criteria sheet. I knew that, you know, outside of anything crazy happening, I've met all the, I checked all the boxes I need to, to be selected. Um, but still I didn't, you know, until I saw my name on that sheet, you know, after I went through what I went through trying to qualify for the Olympics and feeling like I was right there. And then last minute, someone beats me to the punch. I just wanted to make sure I saw my name on that team announcement before I really, you know, I guess felt relaxed and, and I got that call and you know, it's crazy. I mean, Canadian champs is late July, um, holding camp for, for team Canada and Spain is, I think it was August. 10th so it's like you get that call it's like everything relaxes and then you're like damn i'm leaving for europe in like 10 <laughs> days like i gotta like you know i gotta get my last few workouts in i gotta pack and it's just like as soon as you get like relaxed it just turns right back into like okay i need to like get ready to go here like you know the 5k prelims aren't that far away you know you make it to Budapest, you're in the 5K, you're in the prelim, you get out in the prelim. Can you take me behind your experience in Budapest, the race itself, as well as a few weeks removed from it, your reflections from the event in the World Champs? Yeah, I mean, so when I ran the Valencia Half Marathon um, just about a year ago, I ran 61 flat there. I was able to break the Canadian record, which was awesome, but I actually had a terrible 
um, adjustment going over to Europe. Like wasn't sleeping, you know, diet was off. Like I went from feeling so confident going to the race to kind of just this nosedive of like, wow, I've never felt so unprepared for a race um, so close to it. And the outcome still ended up great, but I really wanted to challenge myself going into this holding camp for Worlds in Budapest, um, just focusing on on making that adjustment smooth, first of all, like doing everything I could to basically adjust as quickly as possible and prepare for the race. But secondly, stay calm. Because it's like the outcome turning out really positive in Valencia basically taught me that it's like, even if I don't feel at my best, I have to trust my fitness and know that I'm going to be able to deliver on the day. So the second component of that was really just making sure even I didn't feel hundred percent staying calm throughout that process. So, and that went pretty much as Bex, like pretty much as I just described first couple of workouts were pretty mediocre. And I had to just like, trust that, like I was going to be able to, to deliver on the day and man, like actually walking into a stadium of European fans where it's like virtually full for a prelim. Like I just remember so vividly walking in the stadium and I hadn't seen it because you can't access the track until you're like really about to race. So it's the first time I've actually been inside the stadium, people everywhere. And they're doing like one of those classic sports, like, you know, all the guys cheer, all the girls cheer. And then I remember it going to like now everybody and like the noise, I was just like, this is freaking awesome. You know, like, this is what you like do this for, right? Like to, to be able to compete in, in, in front of a crowd like that, it was, it was amazing. And um, sure enough, you know, you see Mocatier, Jakob and others on the starting line and um, gun goes and it's just like, all of it's gone. You just got to dial in. It's like just another race day. So um, as for the race itself, you know, I'm honestly pretty satisfied with it. Um, again, I closed in a 224 last K, um, super, super tactical, um, pretty physical. And the guys made one last gear at about 250 to go. And that's where, that's where they got away from me. Um, if there's one thing that I could change, I, I feel like I wish, you know, I maybe risked it all to, to stay with that group. I feel like I got a little cautious and saved a little bit for the last hundred. And, you know, when guys are that good and get a step away from you, they're not coming back. And that's a learning experience for me. But overall, you know, I feel like it it did represent, you know, pretty close to the my best performance in terms of where I'm at right now. And um, I learned a lot about what it takes to make a final, you know, running 222 for a K at the end of a 5K is, is no joke. And you got to be, you know, doing that type of stuff in practice, which I just hadn't done. As I mentioned before, in doing that podcast series with you in the winter and spring, I got to see and hear firsthand the ups and downs that you went through and the ups and downs that professional runners experience. And then you kind of chronicled your outdoor season, the ups and downs that you experienced in trying to qualify and realize this lifelong dream of yours. How emotionally draining does it get, the ups and downs and that kind of nature of the sport? And do you think it's something that people don't talk enough about where you could be on top of the world one day and then at the bottom the next and then back on top? Yeah, it's, um, it's I, I imagine a lot of people go through it. Um, and everybody has their own coping mechanisms in terms of how to, how to deal with it. Um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending how you look at it, my career has been filled with that roller coaster between the injuries, missing on Olympics, you know, achieving goals, missing goals, winning races, losing races. 
Um, and I would say my coping mechanism at, at, at this point, especially at a race like Worlds, is to really normalize the situation. Um, it's really, it's, it's, it's easy to let your emotions kind of control you or get out of control when you put so much pressure on an individual event. Um, and it, it kind of seems counterintuitive because people feel like the more you invest in something emotionally, the, the better the outcome or performance is going to be. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, you know, going into a state uh, or a, a higher performance environment, completely overwhelmed can also be counterproductive. Um, I've learned for me, I perform at my best when I'm even cooled, I stay calm. And, you know, I kind of remember at the end of the day that like this race isn't life or death. Um, I know what, it, what I need to do to get the best performance out of myself and um, really just try to avoid those like super volatile emotions. So that's one thing that, that missing the Olympics really taught me is that like everybody that I knew, I saw them on TV competing at the Olympics and they came home and there was this feeling of like, okay, in a sort of a strange race, despite this being my dream, like this was just another race. Everyone comes back, everyone goes back to training and it's like business as usual. So similar to, to worlds this year, I really just try to treat it as like, Hey, I've, I've competed against top guys before I've had the privilege of competing around North America where a lot of the best guys run already. And, um, you know, just trust myself, get out there and do the best I can. And, um, don't, uh, don't feel like this has to, I need to do anything absolutely out of this world. I need to, I just need to be at my best. And I feel like the experience I have this at this point, I can get myself in a routine to, to trust that I'm there. How do you balance the feelings of being satisfied while also striving for more? I've kind of taken that away from this conversation where like you're grateful for the progress that's been made, but you're also searching for more and looking ahead to the next year and looking ahead to the next experience. And I think it's the tough balance between finding the balance between those two things where you're constant, where you're not constantly striving and you're being grateful, but you're also not like too satisfied that it's holding you back and making you complacent. So how do you personally try to find that balance? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like, like there's kind of like an internal, reflection and response and behavior and then kind of like how it's manifested and externally um, presented. Right. And um, the athlete I used to be, you know, I, I used to think that it was important for me to like show people how disappointed or frustrated I was in a situation that that seemed like a, a failure or a letdown. Because um, I thought it kind of like validated, you know, the the amount of passion I have for the sport, the how badly I want to be good. And um, I've learned that's kind of just a drag, you know, it's like people don't really want to be around someone that's kicking cans down the street. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like, I've learned that like, even on days where things aren't great, and sometimes it's a lot harder than others, right? You have to, you have to control your emotions. And it's like, yeah, sure, I'll go to my hotel room, and I'll, I'll watch the race three or four times, I'll think in my head about like, okay, you know, rationally, what could I have done differently to get a better outcome? But I, I feel like my analysis is a lot calmer and a lot more rational. And what I've learned as for like the people who've who've invested any emotional support in me, you know, obviously like the closest people in my life, my fiance Hannah, you know, my parents, um, and then people that are like externally supporting me, like whether it be through Instagram, sending me messages, whatever, it's like it's a positive experience for everyone if you can represent yourself in a positive way to those people, right? Like, especially like right after it's done. So I really try to just like handle my emotions right away, 
enjoy my time with those people that came out to support me because the big picture is that's like that's pretty freaking cool right and it doesn't help anyone to just be a buzzkill and then as for the actual progress like you're not going to solve it that night you know paris isn't an hour after my prelim that i just got knocked out of in budapest you know what i mean so you have to just understand that it's like okay what do i need to work on how much time do i have to resolve this before I, it needs to be accomplished and how am I going to get there? So, and that to me is a lot more of a productive mindset because it's a lot more calming understanding that it's like, okay, this is going to take time, but there's a plan in place. And that's how I stay motivated to accomplish that goal in the future. We talked to your personal excitement, making this dream come true. People who have listened to you and followed your journey know Ronnie, your coach, is a big part of your journey. What were his feelings and emotions as he made the team and raced in the world championships? He was loving it. Uh, he was so excited. And um, we had a few of our American guys um, that, you know, just missed the cutoff. Um, Hobbs, I believe, was sixth in the 15 final. It was such a blanket finish for those top few spots. Mason was fourth. And Morgan didn't have his best day at the world at U.S. Chance, but he was going in as one of the top five guys in the 5k as well. So coming off of USA's feeling like, oh man, like those guys were, were, they were, I would say hungry for more. Um, and they were very supportive of me to kind of, you know, seal the deal, get, get one person from the squad to, to worlds. Um, so it was kind of validation for everyone. I feel like it's like, okay, like we get to support someone on our team that that's there as well. Um, but Ronnie was super satisfied. I mean, he, it was actually really funny. Like, before the race, he like called me and was talking to me about race plan, you know, very classic, just like, you know, have fun, you know what to do. He kept telling me to close in a 224 last K. <laughs> and um, afterwards, he was just like, well, I guess I should have told you to close in a 222 last K because it was like, you know, everything we thought I needed to do to make the final, just we were wrong. You know, it just was a higher bar than than what we anticipated. But it's like there was also this like joking humor and like, hey, we 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 planned we followed through with the plan. It's just like our plan was was off this time and it's going to be better next time because of it. And uh, before he hung up with the phone, he like he told me he loved me, which he's never said before. And I don't even know if it was like he thought he was talking to Luke for a second, but I was like, thanks, Ronnie. Love you too. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like this very like awkward, but like very, you know, very, um, uh, I guess, humbling experience to hear that from Ronnie. It's like, you know what? That's We don't ever tell each other that, but, you know, it's it's good to, to hear that, I guess, you know? Something about you and your crew is you're very transparent, even the fact that you were willing to do a, a five-week series going through the ups and downs of your winter and spring season shows that you're a very transparent person. For you, this season, I'm a big uh, Ben Flanagan Strava follower, big uh, OG follower over there. Take us through, in your mind, the two best workouts you had during this lead up into the world champs two one to two workouts that you walked off the track and you were like, sheesh, you know, we're ready to go. We're ready to close in that two twenty four, which we'll think will make the team. Yeah. Um, the number one that I would say was, um, actually before that California trip, it was the last workout I did before I went to California and Canadian champs. And keep in mind, it's like, most of my season was so dialed in on making worlds that the window of actual like prepping for the prelim was so short, right? Which I, I would argue is, is I don't think it's a mistake, but it's a difference between guys like me and guys like Luis Grijalva who've gone to the Olympics, gone to worlds. And it's like, they know that 
qualifying is like a small piece of it and being ready on the actual day is the way bigger piece. But for me, stage I was at, I was like, I got to freaking get there, right? So this workout was like, to me, a proof of like, I have what it takes to, to seal the deal and make this team. And we went and did a bunch of hills. Like I was like two ARBs, three Harvards, four Ridgeways, classic. Came back to the track and we did um, five sixes in flats in about 135. So just under, um, like around like 13, 15 pace in flats off of, you know, 200 dog, just kind of floating. And then we did four 300s in, um, uh, we were around like 44, 43, 41, 42. And I led the 41, which I was happy about as well. <laughs> and then uh, a hard six at the end in 124. Jeez. And the goal for that 600 was like, I want to know what it feels like to basically kick into 200 to go and then be able to finish it. So Hobbs took us out in about 29 high. And then we went uh, like 27, 27, close in about a, a 54 point, 55 low. And that was a moment where I was like, okay, you know, at Canadian champs, if, if I need to close in 124 to win this thing, um, I can do that. So that was number one. And then the last workout I did before Worlds, I uh, this is another semi-mistake I made, but I was really self-conscious of my PB being so much slower than a lot of guys in the field that I was like training to, for the race to go out in 13 flat. So last workout I did was um, off of about 90 seconds rest. Um, I think we did two miles up front and like 450. And then uh, we did five Ks off of 90 seconds rest, which I went hard off the first one. I was um, 235 off the bat. And then 236, 237, 237, 232. And um, so that's like right about 13 minutes. Um, so I was like, oh, great. All I need to do is that again with no rest. <laughs> but it was a workout where I was like, okay, 62s are feeling better than they ever have before. And like, you know, on the right day, I can see myself running, you know, low 13 minutes. Sure enough, we go out in a 72 second, second 400 <laughs> at Worlds. And I was like, oh shit, I should have been doing speed work this whole time. So another learning experience, right? That like, you think you know how the race is going to play out and it's just got to be ready for anything on the day. One of the only L's I feel like you've taken over the past few months came from a race that you didn't even participate in. And uh, humor me for a second. It was a race that you are the three-time defending champ at. And unfortunately, you had to make the tough decision to obviously you're going to choose Worlds over going back to Falmouth. But was that tough for you? Like, of course, you want to go to Worlds over Falmouth and you're not going to sacrifice that. But also, it's like man, it's going to take another three years to have the opportunity to go for a fourth. If you ever get that opportunity, what are the, obviously your streak still stays alive. So if you enter in next year, you know, it can be four in a row that you were in, but what were the emotions around that? Or are you yeah. just like, I don't care? No, no, I totally cared. And it helped a lot, like ease that pain because the Falmouth Road Race crew is actually rooting for me to not be there. Like they knew how badly I want to be at Worlds. I told them almost a year ago that like, hey, everyone as soon as i won last year was like we'll see you next year and i'm like ah well hopefully not you know and they like it became kind of this running joke that everyone was like hey we hope to not see you at Falmouth this year which was really kind right because it's like very selfless and i would say so there was a lot of fomo when the race happened people sent me messages like hey you know thinking of you this weekend um because it's beyond just like the race itself you know the community you know my like hannah's parents live in falmouth so we like i know everybody a lot of people there now. Um, now what's funny is that like, I was thinking this is my big head, my ego coming in here. Cause it's like, this is the best 
track shape I've ever been in. And I'm like, man, if I could win Falmouth the years before when I was a 13, 20, 13, 25 guy, like I would absolutely dominate this year as like, you know, potentially a 13 O's guy. And then sure enough, I pull up the results and see that Wesley Kiptu ran a minute faster than I ever had on that course and ties the course record. And I was like, wow, that's pretty nuts. Like it would have actually been sick to be there. And I heard conditions were great, you know, not making excuses, whatever, but man, that, that would have been like, Wesley set like a pretty serious bar that like, I can't wait to go back and race him because, um, yeah, he was not messing around. Like he <laughs> came through 27, 30 through 10 K. So like Jeez. mad props to him and the whole field like balled out. So it, it was a humbling experience to be like feeling like, Oh my God, like if I was there, like who knows that would happen. Like that would have been a, that would have been a tough battle for sure. So anyways, I wasn't, so I can just tell everyone that I was going to win <laughs> no matter what. Um, but no, all jokes aside, I was stoked for Wesley and, um, I can't wait, you know, road races are notorious for like bringing people back that they, that they like and have performed well there. And like Wesley is such a good dude that like, I'm happy that he'll hopefully have Falmouth on his calendar for years to come. And it's gonna be a sick, epic battle when we get to line up against each other. Yes, sir. So 2024, does it line up with Paris? If you make Paris, would you be able to do both or no? My understand, like I have it in my head that I'd have to miss it again. Um, but I'm not like hundred percent certain I'd have to look at the calendar, but I believe it's like Paris would make it really hard, um, to do it again. So it might not be till 2025. And even then there's another world championship in Tokyo. So it's like, it's like funny, like the, the silver lining to like being so quote unquote bad at making national teams in the past is I could always run Falmouth. Now that I'm like trying to make these teams every year, it like always conflicts with the race. So um, I will be back there many, many more times. The, the key is I have to be there fit enough to win two more because that's Steve, that Steven Sambu's record is four wins. Ben, give us the, the inside scoop in these final minutes of, of what you got cooking the rest of the year. Three months to go, which sounds crazy. I mean, this year has just absolutely flown by. And I know humans say that every year, but it really feels like, at least for me personally, it's gone by so fast. So we're in September. What do you got cooking for the, for the last uh, three months of 2023? Yeah, I'm with you, man. It's it's gone crazy fast. So coming up next, um, I just got selected to represent Canada at the first World Road Running Championships, which I'll be running the 5K there. Um, hoping to take a swing at my own Canadian record of 1326. Um, so right now I'm training for that. Had a great session yesterday with with Morgan. So I'm feeling good. And then after that, I'm getting married. Yeah, October. Let's go. Yeah. So. It's coming in hot, lots of wedding planning right now. So um, Hannah and I were getting married in Charlottesville, Virginia, where we were living for three years before we moved back to Ann Arbor. Um, we're going on a little honeymoon. And then I am trying to get as fit as possible after that to uh, set um, hit that standard of 1305 for the Olympics, um, ideally in the indoor season at BU. So um, lots of races coming up in the new year. Let's go. Super exciting, man. Super exciting. And I forgot that you're getting married coming up, coming up shortly. So my uh, yep. premature congratulations if I don't talk to you before then. And then um, something you. I'm curious about is like last year when you didn't make the team, I feel like that's when the conversation got floated around a lot of Ben, when are you going to move up to the marathon? Because you had already run a good half at that point. So is your track record, no pun intended, 
like with your track record being really good right now on the track does this just like push back the debut <laughs> many many years <laughs> no no not many years um to be honest right now the trajectory i'm on is going for parents in the 5k and then making a marathon debut the following year okay um th the only thing at this point in my career that would change that is if i felt like i was sniffing at a medal on the track um which you know i never write off anything you know i mean I would have thought it would be crazy if I won NCAAs back in the day and that ended up happening. So that's obviously a whole new bar ball game. And right now, like a lot needs to change for me to be in that position. But in order to commit to a whole nother four years cycle on the track, it needs to be going for a medal. Otherwise, I'm moving up to a marathon and, um, you know, just starting a whole new chapter in, in which I would hope to try to pursue a medal a long time from the debut than in, in that event instead. Man, Ben Flanagan's career is always exciting. Like, I feel like you're always yeah. dipping your toes in new things, constantly, you know, pushing the boundaries of the range that you can do. And it's always exciting, exciting to see and follow along. I've loved our conversation today. I love all of our conversations. One final question for you. We're in September, recording this September 5th. It'll come out, you know, a week or two after. I'm curious for you, you went to the University of Michigan, for those who aren't familiar. Do you have one fun memory from roughly this time period from your cross days at Michigan? And then with that, after you answer that two-parter, what would be some advice to a kid listening who's in cross-country season? So this time of the year, we just got all the cross-country boys in town here in Ann Arbor, and they're just gearing up for like their first Michigan of the year. because And that's like always where everyone gets so hyped, nervous emotions. People have the best work of the year. People have the worst work out of the year. It's just a total like mix. Um, so that's probably my favorite memory right around this time. Um, as for advice for, uh, you said for college kids, high school, college, anyone who's competing this time of year, anyone it's a long season. The preseason is so easy to get so hyped about, so invested in, and it's important, but the magic happens in late November. So if your first race of the season, isn't your best race of the year, that's the best thing possible. So I would say my last my last year in college, I was um, I was twelfth at the Notre Dame Invitational and twentieth in the country. So it's <laughs> like always go for that late peak, in my opinion. Ben, a pleasure. Appreciate you, and uh, looking forward to seeing you rip it on the roads at the World Champs. Thanks, Dominic. Appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.